Hello. What up? What up? This is Ergo WHPK, ErgoRadio.com. It is true. That is a fact. That is what this is. Thank you for conforming. We have not conforming. Oh, confirming. No, I never conform. But you always confirm. Thanks for confirming. <laughs> what we do here is we showcase strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. Each week, another live, long-form interview with an artist, organizer, culture maker, organizer, person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and the more creative. This is episode 99. Uh, that's a that's a lot of people reshaping the culture. The culture has been reshaped. It's in the process. <laughs> we have a very special guest here on WHPK. But first, let's uh, let's announce to and from the community. You got anything you want to throw in there? Now I'm going out of town, man. I don't know what's up. I'm, I'm, your your community I, is I, on a cruise ship. I've plugged out. <laughs> well, for those of Unplugged you plugged would be the word. Plugged out. I like that. <laughs> for those of you who are not going to be on cruise ships uh, for the next week, here's what we got. Uh, Friday night. At the Promontory Party Noir is back. Um, on Saturday is the 14th Annual Disabil- Disability Pride Parade downtown. It's on state. Um, I've been plugging this the last few weeks, uh, but now that I'm starting to have anxiety dreams about it, I feel like it's a it's a good time to bring it back up. <laughs> Next Saturday, so a week from Saturday, is the second annual Chicago Poetry Block Party, which I'm producing with Nate Marshall, Eve Ewing, the Poetry Foundation, and the National Museum of Mexican Art. It's on 19th between Walcott and Wood. Ergo alumni, uh, Kaina, Kenya will be performing. Jasmine Barber is hosting. It's a whole bunch of family, um, and it's going to be a great time. We now have not one, but two taco trucks, which I'm very excited about. That um, sounds like beef waiting to happen. Ooh, <laughs> no pun intended. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just a casino waiting to happen. Um, but it should be a great time. It's free on the 29th from 2 to 9 p.m. And lastly... Get your uh, get your Ergo T-shirt online. Yeah, we got a new design coming soon. But for now, on this very limited run of the original Ergo tees, oh, make gee. sure you get that. Uh, that's at ErgoRadio.com/store. That's all I got. Word. Well, then let's get it started. Today we have a very special guest, which I'm I'm happy to have here. Um, artist, organizer, Nadia. I, mean, I said I did. I just asked you. And I said it wrong. <laughs> Sadia Nawab is here. Make some noise. Bra bra. Hey. Yeah. How you feeling? As we like to start every show, um, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world on this day, in this season, this week, this time in your life? Man, things have just been manifesting lately. So things are really good right now. Mm, what yeah. uh, what's we're, we're all about the specificity. So what, what's manifesting? What's going on? So we're going to jump right in, huh? Let's do it. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't, we don't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I was nominated for this program that I you know, applied for and I got accepted into it's a it's a program that teaches um, progressives how to run political campaigns. Mm-hmm. So um, it's taking place next next week in D.C. and um, Ilhan Omar, the first Somali American uh, state rep in Minnesota, mm-hmm. she got trained through this program. Uh, Elizabeth Warren got trained through this program. So I know Elizabeth Warren will be there to keynote. Keith Ellison will be there to keynote. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's so cool. as I'm you know just thinking about a trajectory with thinking about political power yeah um which is not like in the near future but still i'm yeah. really excited about this yeah it's interesting you know for all of our talk up here i think we we tend to not talk about electoral politics that often just because it's not kind of the realm of either of our focus mm-hmm. um but it happens yeah, yeah i mean it's not really the realm of my focus <laughs> right. at all either but as i've been organizing you know, I'm like, yo, we're missing a piece of this. Right. And we really need to shake the system up. And you know what I mean? With right. people who have the power. Um, so that's kind of where I'm thinking. Yeah. And there are structures that already exist that people can have access to. Like, as we think about world building, 
it doesn't mean that you're less critical if you also look at what already exists and figure out how to how to wrestle with that. So is that is this kind of like your first step thinking about that, or is that something that's kind of always been on your mind? This like figuring out how to how to work within that structure in addition to all of the other things of community building that you do. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a few years or maybe a couple of years because, you know, I've been organizing on the South Side in mm-hmm. Chicago lawn. And when I was thinking about our ward and how much money, you know, aldermen didn't take advantage of with that, that TIF money and yeah. just different resources that are there. And granted, I don't know the nitty gritty of how that actually works. Um, you know, I'm like, we can do a lot with these resources. We can really rethink just the way that the, 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 the city is run. And so, and I was inspired by, by some elected officials that just mm. spoke truth to power. They just sounded like moms from the block club. And I'm like, they're mm. elected right. officials and they, they help us get resources. So, you know, I just started to think a little bit about my own trajectory with mm. that. So I'm just exploring it. I mean, nonetheless, I'm keeping, I'm continuing to organize and. You heard it here for, first, folks. You said what? We we heard it here first. I know, right? Like the the, the campaign is yeah, being launched. If you, Let's if get you, it if you need like PSAs and <laughs> right, anyone to approve exactly. any messages, we are available for message <laughs> approval. <laughs> um, but let, let's kind of jump into into what you've been doing leading up to this moment. Um, again, for all the people we've had up here, you're the first person from Amman that we've we've talked to on this show. So, I'm, and we've been talking about it forever, and I'm just glad that this kind of worked out organically. Um, so, first off. Like, what's the elevator pitch or the short description of the org? And then kind of maybe more importantly, um, when you think of it, if you were to define it for yourself, what is it that y'all do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, we're a community organization. We're not a faith-based organization. We're not a religious thing at all. It's a community organization that's rooted in um, fostering health, wellness, and healing Mm -hmm. in the inner city. Um, You know, we're, we're based in Chicago Lawn, Marquette Park, and you know, have been mixing a little bit east into like West Inglewood, Inglewood, um, and just launched a site in Atlanta. Mm. Um, and so we foster health, wellness, and healing with a very holistic model through, um, uh, you know, we have a holistic health center that has behavioral health, um, a dental suite, and, um, you know, we organize for social change. So we have two main campaigns that we work on, which I'll tell you guys about in a second. They're really cool. And then um, we're really big on cultivating the arts. Like that's just a part of our DNA. It always has been. Mm-hmm. And so we we have, you know, the arts is kind of a part of all of our programs. And we also have really strong arts programs as well mm-hmm. um, in and of themselves. So we've done festivals, like taking it yeah. to the streets. You know, we've had Yasin Bey, Talib Kweli, Vic Mensa, Rakim, Yuna, a whole bunch of artists there. Um, did you or did you not have Jay Electronica at something? We had Jay Electronica in yeah. uh, at a community yeah. cafe. Yeah. And Mick Jenkins. Yeah, Mick Jenkins. Was that too. the same night? That was the same, but it was a year okay. before that. But okay. same place <laughs> yeah. around the same time of the year. I mean, I think this is, I think the, the pretense has fallen away. And, and really the reason why you're here is because we're trying to get Jay Electronica on the podcast. <laughs> he doesn't do a lot of podcasts. <laughs> and this seemed like, the, we'll, we'll come back to that. But yeah, yeah. So, continue, so that kind of being a piece that, that like live event production as a way of bringing people in as a way of celebrating. Um, but it's also a way of, of, of changing the narrative. So right. we started doing these festivals at, in Marquette Park, which is where Dr. King marched mm-hmm. when he lived in Chicago in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was here for housing rights, to fight for housing rights, because the condition of, of black people on the west side and, and the south side was, um, I mean, people were living in rat infested apartments. Uh, you know, landlords were just totally taking advantage yeah. of of the money within the housing system. So he came here to bring, this is after the civil rights movement, you know, he came to Chicago to, um, to, 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 to see if his model worked in yeah, the North. In 67. 
66. He he came here early 66 and then in, you know, had all these marches throughout the city. Um, and at one point he was like, oh. I'm going, I'm going to Market Park, um, mm-hmm. which is where people even to this day, like elder, you know, black people in our community will say that like we are still kind of nervous around being in Marquette Park to this day. And it's 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 a very mixed community now. But so when he marched in Marquette Park, um, this is where there were 700 marchers and there were 1000 policemen there to protect the marchers because there were 5000 people that were there to counter protest them. And they were throwing you know, bottles and bricks, Molotov cocktails. Um, flipping if, cars and stuff. Flipping cars. Yeah. I mean, if you guys come to the our ceramic studio, uh, you'll see the original pictures from Bernie Kleina, who was there, you know, doing the photography. He, he gave them to us for a permanent mm. exhibit. And you'll see the, I mean, literally, they're like rocking the cars with this family and throwing like cases of, of it looks like beer cans um, at the car. I mean, it's just like really these horrific. Law, these lawless thugs. <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously, that's yeah. the white folks protesting. But the so for y'all now looking in these communities, and it sounds like you're building this this historical context um, with it. What have been as you've um, and we'll talk kind of about your entry point into it. But as you, have you've gotten as you've gotten to know kind of the place in which your place based organizing takes place. Like what are the <laughs> what, what what are the a placement thing? Oh man, right. <laughs> what what are kind of the surprising corners of it, or the you know, just like your favorite little spots to to be beyond the like political of it, the places in that neighborhood, in that park, and that on those blocks that like just personally bring you joy. Hmm. Um. I mean, definitely the the memorial is, it's it's. It's kind of surreal because, you know, it's it's it feels so grand when you're sitting there, but it also has this super grassroots element to it. So to just like reflect and personally, I was so involved with it. So like to really reflect on the intentionality behind it, it's on 67th and Kedzie um, is somewhere where, you know, I like to spend time. Marquette Park, mm-hmm. um, there's this beautiful lagoon there. And it's 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 crazy. We have these gems That's in our city. I was cities. about to say, I'm all about the lagoons. Like this, <laughs> we talk about this a lot, actually, as someone who's not from here and is a transplant. And as I was getting to know the city, like just thinking about how different this place would be without this park system of these incredibly beautiful, like just varied, wonderful public spaces in, you know, across the city. Like I think it really changes um and like gives people a sense of like there is a public, there is like a a commons that we share a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely, you know? and I I mean I think, but to to answer your question is, um, there are there are these gems in the city that you know just get so overlooked and undermined, and and it, I mean it's just really inspiring for me to see those gems in neighborhoods that a lot of people would consider are ugly and you know dilapidated. Just to know like what that spot means to me. Mm-hmm. So on 66th and Morgan, there is this corner store there, Morgan Mini Mart, and um, you know we've been working with that corner store owner for a while. Um, you know we've had these cipher sessions outside that uh, outside the corner store just to read, like reimagine what the corner store could be mm-hmm. and historically what it's been in black communities in Chicago, uh, run by Arabs, often Muslims that are you know may not have the best business practices or relations with residents um so we have this whole campaign around that mm-hmm. and so we we, we you know and, and we use the arts a lot to um again reimagine what the corner store could look like 
And the, this last one we had, this last session we had out there, we had, you know, an MC, a break dancer, graffiti artist, and we were playing music, but I'll call that a DJ. So it was just like, <laughs> man, the, the, it was just hip hop corner, right. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. cypher right out there. It was amazing. It was, you know, so that's another spot. 66 I, I, I would like to hear more because uh, we were just on the panel a few days ago and you told, I, I don't know if you were saying that the the campaign kind of just aligned or responded mm-hmm. um to uh the, the mickey Hosses song a few years right. ago or if that was like the origin of it uh, <clears throat> so i would like to go a little bit deeper in like the history of how that work came about and really what have what are some of the patterns you've learned structurally uh about that dynamic because i think growing up um, as I before, I was like super politicized. What just through my observations mm-hmm. uh, was the the harm and just the the collective manner and, and trends of how the corner store gas station works as like a not only an economic drain but also like pumping in really you know harmful whether it be tobacco or just a bunch of sugar. Absolutely. Um, wh- why? Why? What? What are the yeah, I just want to know more. Like, About what are the, the, yeah, the, the cultural, dynamics. historical reasons of, of how that is our reality? I mean, even just to hear you say that, it it just, like, breaks my heart just to, just to hear that pain, you know, from, from your voice there. But, um, I mean, so... so He's very emotive. He's very <laughs> impressive. That's why he's on the radio. Um, <laughs> That's that roll bounce training right there. He was in the movie Roll Bounce. We'll come back to it. <laughs> um. So, so that the Mickey Halstead song that you were referencing, Liquor Store, that's the first one. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think that expresses the sentiment that a lot of residents feel of this corner store owner who's Muslim, has a Quran sitting in his, you know, behind his desk, sitting behind a bulletproof window, selling food that's just killing people um, and just not really dealing with people the right way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Everything from business to what the products that are being sold goes against what, you know, our faith teaches us. So this campaign really started from just agitating the Muslim community around like, how are y'all doing this? Like, mm-hmm. are you doing this in, in your communities? You know, um, mm-hmm. just really agitating. And, and, and the response was, you know, you're, 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 you complain a lot. You, uh, yeah, you complain a lot, but, but what, what can, what can be done really? Because, the other side of it, I think the complexities that kind of came out and in those conversations with the artists, Mickey Halstead, Rhymefest, and mm-hmm. Maimuna Yusuf, um, is that, you know, these are these are immigrants, often refugees even, coming from war-torn countries. Uh, for example, Palestine has been like devastated, right? Um, they come to this, they come to this country and are just operating at like razor-thin profit margins right. um and are, are just trying to make it you know and are denied access into you know damn near every con- piece of the economy with this being one of the few exceptions yeah. yeah um and um and so so i think part of it is just you know understanding the complexities of that middleman minority mm-hmm. um and kind of trying to because this 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 campaign again it's 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 very agitational and mm-hmm. it's it's challenging because you have to work with so many different bases um and so just understanding the complexities and really trying to align self-interest has been difficult. Um, so some of the corner store owners are really responsive. Um, again, Morgan Mini Mart is one that runs pretty well. But um, yeah, just some of them are really responsive. I are, are really get it and do really truly try to serve their people in the best way possible. And they understand it. It has a customer service aspect, right? Like mm-hmm. it helps their business if they have a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Um 
on the other hand, there's there's three tracks. So there's the there's that business track. There's there's a, a nutrition track where mm-hmm. we really work with residents to educate them on on what are better food options and right. you know uh you, you know just we have cooking demos outside the cooking outside the corner stores um things like that oh, that's dope and we started a farmer's market too because we realized like there's just no access yeah. to fresh food so um we started a farmer's market like three years ago actually tomorrow's the inaugural day but it's hey. raining so i think like the real big inaugural day will be next friday <laughs> we have a live band i mean this yeah. is stuff that people don't have access to you know for those listening where is the farmer's market what's to do with i'm if you like listen to or just talk to me for a minute in general you know i'm very pro yeah farmer's <laughs> market um my partner runs a far- what what's yeah. the info for the farmer's market? so it's also down. can i come to this farmer's we'll market? Absolutely. <laughs> it's too excited <laughs> so it's 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 on 63rd in california okay. where our headquarters cool. are it's in our parking lot you can't miss it um again there's a live band every week we speak to the demographics of people in the community so you get a really dope and unique taste of like just different bands you know mm-hmm. um and then we have different vendors and we do the link program mm-hmm. where like you get 20 up Double to 20 like, yeah, yeah we talked about it a couple weeks ago with george michael who works he's one of the people at experimental station that runs that program okay cool um in terms of work, finding farmers and connecting with, yeah. how, how is that Where are all of these farmers? Right. So <laughs> There's a lot of markets. I don't see a lot of farms. Well, so this is a, it's an important <laughs> yeah. question, um, specifically about, like, who are you giving business to? And so it's something that, you know, my partner, Rosie, who runs the Logan Square Farmers Market, which is a very different farmers market, has been a central tension for her. And a lot of it has to do with who is allowed to own farms yeah. within driving distance of the city of Chicago or just in general and how, you know, discriminatory subsidies work for farms and all kinds of stuff like that. So how have you all been thinking about that in terms of who you invite in and partner in on the farmer end? Yeah, I mean, so this is where my colleague who runs the market, her expertise would come in. Mm-hmm. But Shout her out. Amy Elmati. Oh, Shout girl. out Amy. <laughs> Shout out to Amy. <laughs> um, but I know we, we work with Urban Canopy mm-hmm. and then... <clears throat> Um, there, there are some other farmers that are like nearby, mm-hmm. um, some in the city, some, yeah, some growing yeah. power, growing homes and those places. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But sorry, I don't, that's not true. No, that's cool. That's cool. And you all just do, so you're saying the nutrition, the, um, the, the economic path of it. Right. And what was the third? The third one is around the, um, the, so it's education, the business, and mm. then Shoot, I'm forgetting. This is where my other colleague, Sada Hamdan, would come in. <laughs> this is the <laughs> thing about collective, yeah, 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 you yeah, know. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, that's, all right. Yeah, that, yeah. That's good for now. <laughs> no I think word. that gives a good uh, and so And so with that, one, I, 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 I want to go back and just like uh, show my appreciation for, for the Corner Store campaign and, and off mic and in the future, I want to figure out how we can collaborate or support or amplify that work. Because that, that was a tension, you know, as we are a part of like, some similar spaces and coalition building has been happening in in the city um, as trying to like pump up like an intersexual intersexual no intersectional intersectional like united front uh, a lot of like internal pushback I was getting is but you know we can show up uh, for the symbolic or show up for the legislative together, but in our actual communities, how are we dealing Absolutely. with the complications of, of anti-blackness and, you mm-hmm. know, power dynamics? Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I just want to learn and, and hear more and work closer with that work. Uh, but let's take a step back and kind of, I have two questions in one. Uh, Wait, can I just say yeah, one more? Yeah, say talk, man. Okay. We're not driving. We're driving the ship together. Do so your thing. Go for it. Um, on that corner store piece, there was after um, the case of in, in Ferguson where the the brother was shown that he was actually 
like there was a little drug exchange mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then he came out and then th- they basically uh the the corner store owners like didn't expose that like yeah. they kind of kept their their stuff yeah. under the that's kept mm-hmm. it under the rug you know i saw some tweets that i was like yo the muslim community cannot afford these tweets where someone was just saying like just talking about oh man i'm forgetting the tweets but basically i i looked more into that um and i i, I watched some youtube videos about um you know what happened when the ferguson riots were taking place and how you know they were they were holding guns i don't know if you actually went to that actual market I've, yeah i've been there did, plenty did you see them like toting guns and by the time by the time i got down there the the, the like uprising on that level had like okay. had, had slowed down okay. so folks was, was starting to patronize and, and I, I saw wow. the way that they interacted with the community so it was this complicated mix okay. of some of those more historical things but then also like there was like a common understanding or, you know, you know, okay. selling loose squares or that, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely went into that specific market plenty of times just okay. like, cause I needed stuff. Well, I'll send you a video later yeah, yeah, for y'all yeah, yeah. to check out. Um, but anyways, we, we juxtaposed that with, um, when Alton Sterling passed away mm-hmm. and, uh, well not passed away, was killed. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the store owner was the one who recorded it, who, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, supported him. He was harassed by the FBI, you yeah. know, all that Made stuff. Made statements saying like, I, I, I gave him permission to be there. I gave him permission to do You can't do this in my name. Basically. I got to show you guys this video of at his funeral when he was talking about how he was like, man, Alton, Alton was my friend. That was mm-hmm. my friend. And he was saying every week he would be out there every day. He'd be out there except Mondays. And, you know, he would yell at him like, oh, man, why weren't you here on Mondays? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I was just watching wrestling. And they would just, <laughs> you know, mess around with each other. And I mean, it, literally, I watched it like 50 times on repeat mm-hmm. and I'm just bawling because I'm like, that that is Islam right there. Yeah. That That's yeah. that's a good businessman right mm-hmm. there. Like that's a prophetic in the prophetic yeah. tradition. And you know, that that's part of what we agitate, you know, a lot of the Muslim community. Because the reality is a lot of them live outside of the communities yeah. that they that they right. work in, right? And the mo- there's also the issue about the money not being circulated within right. the community. Right. Um and so so we literally show these videos and say, like, look, this is this is our example right here. Yeah. Juxtapose it with the Ferguson right. piece. Wow, that's powerful. So yeah, it's it's super powerful. It's a Prezi that I made. I'll share it with you guys to that's check dope. it out. Damn, yeah. I tried to make a Prezi once in college and got very overwhelmed. Shout look, out to low you. key, I'm gonna <laughs> you are start a multimedia artist. Yo, that. I'm gonna start a Prezi uh, business <laughs> on Craigslist. Like I'll make all your Prezi for you because I <laughs> love it. Smart. It's so fun. Man, I think that it can that kind of takes us into into some of the artistic piece of what you do, which I'm excited to talk about. But just I want to stay use the phrase of middleman minority as a i want to kind of stay on that phrase for a second you don't have to what was that we don't have to go there if you don't want but what were you what were you thinking um so our the founder of our organization is um you know a sociology phd actually from here university of chicago and um he uh you know he kind of he schools us on a lot of these different terminologies Mm so this is something I would defer to That's my, okay. yeah, so shout out to Rami Nishishibi. And, and the more important thing is I really respect the way that you've done that throughout the interview actually already. Be like, this isn't my piece. Because often, especially when people get on microphone, there's like maybe this pressure to be the expert. And I really respect that you're being like, this isn't what I bring. So thank you for doing that. So, so I, I do, so I do want to like um, take a slight step back and you kind of actually introduced it right there. Um, I want, I'll talk a little bit about like my perception when I first started hearing about Iman mm-hmm. because there were things like happening on King Drive that that my per, my perception was that it was like related or an offshoot or like um, delineated from like the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And then as I started seeing it or or sharing space, I saw like that it was this diasporic like like every 
type of of like Muslim sect that I'm aware of, right? I was seeing mm-hmm. the, um, a very dynamic space uh, that has been really inspiring and exciting because I grew up uh, not Muslim, but my uncle who who came home from incarceration mm-hmm. uh, was like it is very devout and was like my my nanny for like a couple of years. So okay. like I would go to to mosque with him very yeah. often uh, and, well, and learn like yeah 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 for like age like huh. nine to eleven. I was like very close. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would like to learn a little bit of, of what you, your knowledge of the history of the organization and how you got involved and, in, in, you know, where your where your point of entry. Yeah, was. for sure. So um, it was, you know, it was a real organic process in the 90s um, where there were a lot of, you know, there was based. So as I was saying, in the 60s, there was, you know, black people were not allowed beyond Western. Um, and obviously the fight kind of shifted the demographics in the community. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a strong like Christian presence, Catholic presence. Um, there's a lot of like Latinx folks there, a lot of Mexicans, um, a lot of African-Americans and multiple, like just different churches and, you know, a, a Hebrew Israelite congregation. Um, and there's a strong like Arab population on 63rd, a little bit West closer to Kedzie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, they also brought in a lot of the Muslim like presence, although obviously there's a lot of Muslims in the black community too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just this like dynamic organizing taking place. Um, I largely in part due to the the efforts out of you know King's um, mm-hmm. presence, but in the 90s, you know, um, actually that's when when Rami moved to the area. His his family has been rooted in that community for decades, um, and he just kind of saw this you know interesting thing going on and and really mobilized a lot of he and a lot and others there's a strong you know number of founders but uh you know just mobilized a lot of the muslim community to kind of get out of the suburbs and share resources and just you know you know just 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 yeah be be, connected right 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 so um and again that's when streets was uh the first taken into the streets took place iman was incorporated in 97 there was a lot of like youth programming that took place in the beginning um and you know started a little health clinic because we realized that was also a a, you know something that was needed in the community and we've just grown since then so i came around i actually went to one of the first streets uh when i was like seven or something (laughs) and um so you came up in it well not really because i was disconnected for a while and you know i remember kind of hearing about the org as like a teenager but i just wasn't interested because from a distance i was like they don't they won't get me like i just see i grew up Why, what, what what was that yeah. perception about i think just the the role of the spirituality and of mm. islam it kind of was like there was just this disconnect that i drew um I didn't. I don't know if it was going to be too much of like a mosque type space mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm, a judgmental space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know I just wasn't yeah, into I, that. I think that was what I, I was actually asking my uncle about. Like, do you know your mom? He's like, yeah, I used to go, but like they don't pray enough for, for me. So me He's like, they, they got too cultural for me, so I, I'm I'm there for the <laughs> for the Islam funny. straight. Yeah, straight he's up. really really devout. There's <laughs> there's a big you know uh kind Generational of controversy divide. well within yeah. Islam. There's people mm. on the spectrum that say music is like forbidden. It's a right. sin. It's not allowed. Right. So when a lot of Muslims see what we do and we have folks like Jay Electronica, I don't know, were you guys at that show? Was I was not. not. Okay. Well, when we have just different artists, yeah. like they're like, oh yeah, we're not sure what kind of Islam right. that is, you know, but um, we get it and it makes sense. Just growing up here, you understand like the role that culture plays, right? And, right. and the role that Islam has p- played in this country from when, um, you know, Africans were enslaved and 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 then just as 
you know, and, and Dr. Sylviane Diouf, who is um, a historian and has written a lot of books on slavery, talks about how so many, like many, you know, up to 30, 40 percent of Muslim or Africans that were here enslaved were Muslim and how they um, uh, influenced the blues even because of the um you know if you if you there, she has this piece where she compares the adhan the call to prayer mm. to some the, some of the first blues that was ever <laughs> recorded in prisons oh, um beautiful. and and she she draws a really strong comparison and if you think about the fact that that is what influenced modern day gospels right. i mean it's so connected right. you know what i'm saying and that's why me personally like i i look at you know um my black brothers and sisters i i see us having a common like spiritual ancestry even mm -hmm. for me you know and i yeah. think that's so important for people who come to this country as as immigrants like there's so many muslims who come to this country as immigrants have an immigrant privilege and advantage that hustling that that's that's not that's a unique thing right to immigrants who come to this place for the dream you know and for them to not realize like that we have this spiritual ancestry that is common and just just the respect that needs right. to be in place i mean that's something that really motivates me and and what i do uh, I can't remember how no, we got here. No, but to that point, though, because but the the trade or the 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 deal that you make for that or that is often made for that access is an like a a a, a an amnesia of lineage. Basically, it's like we'll give you access to that if you choose if you are willing to forego these common ancestries and these common threads that run and, and participate in this like machine horrible horrible yes, violent absolutely. process. Um, so we keep kind of zooming out, but let's, I'm going to keep it back on yes. you. So you came when you were seven to the, right. to the first and streets then, and then kind of stepped away. Well, and in that time being away, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of other <clears throat> children of immigrants can relate to just a culture clash with, mm -hmm. um, you know, parents like not understanding how we're growing up mm -hmm. and for my sister, my older sisters influenced me a lot. They were like really into hip hop and, um, I'm not sure what motivated them so much, but they were really into just like social justice spaces, you know, mm. and my, my older sister is 12 years older than me. Mm. Um, and she just influenced me a lot because she was like 18 when I was what? Six. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so she introduced me to... Look at to that teamwork. That <laughs> <laughs> you even like point out, I'm like, that's my hype man. He gives me numbers. <laughs> um, so yeah, she introduced me to, you know, just things that, if you kind of just live in your privileged bubbles, I don't think you would necessarily notice. Um, and so anyways, I, yeah, there was this, 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 this um, disconnect between my parents, you know, mm -hmm. understanding and, and my reality and, you know, just being raised by media and hip hop culture. And where in the city were you at this point or in the, where were you? So in, in Bridgeview, which is um, just right out Southwest of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, booming like muslim community yeah, there definitely um and so that's where i grew up the other piece is that um they're majority arabs there were majority arabs growing up and you know my family we're patan we're from we border afghanistan but we're pakistani so we're malala yusufzai where she's mm -hmm. from and kind of where the taliban came out of like mm -hmm. that's the culture that that we come from it's very different from even just the more right. mainstream indo-pak like yeah. things like bollywood stuff that you think about like right. very different from that and then definitely very different from the arab you right. know culture so we were always like discriminated we just weren't 
ever really considered good enough growing mm-hmm. up in that community. So mm-hmm. there was that little bubble. So that, you're othered even within the bubble. Exactly. And then you go out in the world. And then and I went to a school that was like probably 75% white. And, you know, all my I had honors classes. All my students were white, but all my friends were people of color, right. whether they were like black or like, you know, Mexican or Arab. Um, and so, and I used to you talk to, to pass notes like through the air vents down into the other classroom, <laughs> and then they like shoot it back. Up I used to talk to my teachers about like not wanting to take certain classes because, and I used to say like, oh, they don't listen to the same music that I listen to. And she was like, are you serious? Like, you want to, you don't want to take an honors class because of music. But I was, I couldn't articulate at, in the sixth the, grade the that it's culture, that. exactly. Yeah. And there's so much like racism that just wasn't in the conversation in like 2000 when I was in, you know, the, right. in that, that age range. Right. So you just, we didn't have the the tools to really talk about that right. stuff. So in school doesn't give you those tools. So then you're like trying to like, you're like, you know, something isn't right. You're trying to figure out what framework to, or even like what language to use. And someone's telling you you're crazy for even wrestling. With Beyond that. not giving the, the tools, they, they actually, actually give you, the opposite, yeah. the, you know. And so then on top of that, you know, there's obviously, reinforce it. on top of that, there's the issues at home where, there's that disconnect with right with the family and um you know it's just they're dealing with their own baggage and trauma mm-hmm. and historical legacy mm-hmm. of trauma and just yeah so there's there's a lot of violence we saw growing up a lot of just the communication piece was you know yeah. unhealthy so we resorted a lot i resorted a lot to you know my friends which aren't weren't always the healthiest circles um mm-hmm. was looking for love in the wrong places and wound up in some pretty toxic and abusive and messed up you know relationships mm-hmm. um and so all that to say when i was you know around 16 17 my sisters were like yo you know volunteer for taking it to the streets it's coming up so they had me volunteer and um you know that then folks at iman were like yo do this youth program and and i just got plugged in and i i, I think when i when i first came to like the first meeting i realized yeah, this is this is me. This These is this is where you know my faith is not compromised. There's there's I don't feel that judgment. I feel I could be myself. Um, where I can be intellectually stimulated because that was a big part of yeah. who I was. Um, hip hop is still a uh, you know really big part, but hip hop for the right reasons, not for like the reasons that, or what I saw on and mainstream radio, mm-hmm. right? And then um, and just about serving people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then and it just reshaped my whole idea of what community is and what community I'm from, and yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's something that actually I've been editing next week's episode because we recorded it and it's something that our guest next week talks about. But I'm going to give you that little sneak peek without the name. But talking about the idea of like having these things that are kind of kernels or seeds that you know you believe in, but you don't even really know what they are fully yet. And then you walk in a room where not only are they shared, but someone has already like figured out how to frame them. And you go like, that's the what I'm talking about. Like, that's the thing I've been trying to figure out how to say. Right. Um, but before you stepped in that room... Were you making things? Were you artistically engaged when you say, you know, intellectually engaged? Like what, what was like, DJ, fif- right? what was 15 year old you up to? <laughs> A lot of ganja. <laughs> <laughs> um, Shout out. <laughs> um, well, so, you know, so I, I was on the track to, I was just about school. Like school was easy for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so intellectually. Where'd you go to high school? Stag. Okay. On 111th and Robertson. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, I mean, intellectualized, it was more so just doing well in school and like, you know, I was a smart yeah. kid. So it was, it was this easy. Um, but 
um in terms of creativity i mean i've always been super creative like since i was young but it's interesting i was just talking about this on the way here i never considered myself an artist even though i i recorded my first track when i was like 11 i had a whole book of poetry you got it do you still have access I still to that have song? It. what's it called can we put it in the podcast <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try to get it to you guys it's called it's called whatever it takes and the group's name at that time was deception and deception. yo low-key it could be a radio hit, for <laughs> all right we're gonna we're gonna really push this again we we do approval for political messages and we do radio promo so and i will send a simple addition and subtraction <laughs> <laughs> got it we're just trying to figure out what we can contribute to the community you know <laughs> um so you were already making stuff but you weren't thinking about yourself as an artist because artist. you know when we think about art especially well, in the circle that I grew up in, but I mean, yo, art is such an elite term. Like, who grows up thinking I'm creating art or I'm an artist unless you have access to that type of art, right? And it's it's a very like white term too. Um, and so, um, hmm. yeah, it was it was hard for me to even identify as an artist until I was. I mean, even after I'm DJing, you know, I it was way after that that I'm like, yeah, you know what, I am an artist. This is this yeah. is what. It what is. was your DJ name? It's Miss Deja. Has it oh. always been Miss Deja? It first started off as Miss Dia, and then it went to just Deja. But where, where, how did that name come about? Because people used to call me Sadia in school. Mm. So, and then <laughs> I used to I used to really then, like okay. Trina when she used to talk about yeah. Miss Trina, and they just said Miss Dia. But then <laughs> shout out to Trina who has not gotten a lot of airtime up here. Yeah, but yeah, shout yeah. out to Trina. Yeah, seriously. Um, and then I hate when like sometimes that when people say DJ whatever it's just so cliche to me. So I didn't want to have DJ in front of my name. So. Mm-hmm. I just put the D and the J in it. They're caps, so it's Miss Deja. And then it. also um, just someone who I'm like really inspired by, who's my ultimate role model. Is, her name is Khadija. Oh, so I it's going to say Queen Latifah because her name was Khadija. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or was her name Khadija? In what? In, in, um, uh, in a single? Uh, that's some role so, There's some Khadija somewhere. I'm pretty sure Queen Latifah was, was Khadija. Okay. Listeners. Just tweet us that if, if I'm wrong on that I'm bogus <laughs> but so you you started DJing before you found your way like at what point did that did that become a, a tool so you were I, using I used to say that I want to be a DJ since I was like a little kid and you know like I said I had a lot of I was out the house a lot getting into mm-hmm. a lot of trouble and so um, I used to convince my I used to try to convince my sisters to buy me turntables so that I can I'm like I'll stay in the house I promise just get it <laughs> for me so when I started coming around Iman um, this brother Asad who used to actually basically be what I'm doing now he, he was a person like 10 years ago uh, DJ Manowax you know they were starting this this program it was like a summer program where they taught you know the elements of hip-hop and how that relates to social movements and so I took up DJing and so he that's when he was like all right I'm gonna mentor you through this and mm. um that's how I learned how to DJ and I started doing the community cafes which was really empowering for like a 17 year old 18 year old to rock shows of you know three four hundred people with yeah. these dope guests I mean and I my first show I did I threw it down oh and, yeah yes what uh, were do you remember like any of the any of the blends any of what you mixed so What'd I did do? this one mix that it was like my set yeah. it was off the hook I'll share it with you you're like this is like I can see you have that like DJ look in your eyes where you're getting really excited you're like man the way I mix this yo I like low key started drooling when I walked into the <laughs> yeah no this is a records. fun room for, <laughs> for for a DJ so you in addition to to that form I know you first of all we didn't even really talk about like what your role is at Iman yeah now. so I'm the arts and culture manager which mm-hmm. means I I mean at this point I'm basically overseeing the department and just trying to build capacity and strengthen the department which does we do so many programs. They're right. staggered throughout the year, so it's not all at once. But they've ranged from, you know, this festival that was last year, um, 
un uh, unveiling the, the actual memorial to Dr. King and the community, um, which was like a public art piece. Mm -hmm. uh, these community cafes, we do youth programming, and we just launched a, a ceramic studio, yeah. which is a big deal. And then, and the creative placemaking, so the stuff at the corner stores and at the farmer's market. And I, you know, I have different interns and leaders in place and a senior advisor as well, but that's, that's mm -hmm. what my role is. Yeah, so I want to ask a little bit about the ceramic studio because I know you mentioned it a couple of times. And it's it's a really interesting form and medium just as, I'm, as I've been thinking about it more and more because it is so physical and it is like you have this incredible like body control and it is like you're using your whole body in the process of it. Why, why yeah. a ceramic studio for you? And also it has a lot of uh, like elitist connotations as well. Yes. So kind of like and it's an expen it is an expensive often yeah. medium to work. Absolutely. Why, why, why a ceramic studio? Yeah. So um, it all started when we were thinking about the memorial and what medium like that mm. should be in. And because, you know, Dr. King was fighting for housing rights in a historical brick bungalow district, um, we decided that the memorial will have remnants of those brick bungalows. So it's made from brick and, you know, it's like kind of pointed at the top, like roofs for houses. Um, and there's this meta theme of home within the, um, within the memorial. But so in order to make the bricks, you know, you need to have clay. And so, <laughs> and then we were thinking about arts programming and the legacy of the memorial. And so, um, mm. you know, there's a lot of brainstorming that took place and, you know, talked to the community. And we decided that um, the ceramic studio would be like a legacy project of the memorial and that it's another way to provide access to these elite quote, you know, types of um, art that folks do not have access to, especially in our community. So it's a neighborhood ceramic studio. It's called the Beloved Community Ceramic Studio in yeah. vision of, you know, Dr. King's vision for the beloved community. Have you uh, have you stepped into the ceramics arena? Yes. How's that going? Oh, my gosh. You will be there for like four hours and you're like, <laughs> I need more time. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's it's like because it's it's clay. Right. And it's from the earth. It keeps you. It's just something about it that is so grounding. Yeah. And, you know, we're made from clay. So. It's just something about it that's so so natural and so grounding. And you're not like making a rep like when you're making a painting, you're making a representation of what something looks like. With I, I always think about it with ceramics, like you're physically making. You're not painting a representation of a bowl. You're making an actual yeah, bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of cool. I really want to get into ceramic like mosaics. Mm. I'm gonna be uh, like tile work type stuff. Tile work. I mean, that can be a really tie in with our yeah, reentry program because yeah. that stuff is expensive. Like people will pay for that, mm -hmm. and it's a traditional art. So I mean, just think about people who don't have opportunities, right? Like don't have access to jobs. And if we figure out a way to plug them in and take them around the world, like if they get really good, right. I mean, that's just my vision. And cross and cross culturally, they're being like that as a, as a traditional art. So, you know, you talked about some of the folks who are living in the neighborhood, like, you know, you think about like Mexican tile traditions yes. and Middle Eastern tile traditions and African tile traditions. And like all of those are different forms, but it, it's kind of that same idea. So it could, you could have people training in each of those. That's a cool, yeah. we should, I'm, I'm getting excited about it. I'm not even like, involved. That's just vicariously. That's cool. <laughs> like when Jay-Z talks about that $2 million piece that, yeah. you know, yeah. grows in value, that's going to be my piece. <laughs> that's cool. So I, I, I got a, uh, kind of just a transition. What, what do you, what do you got, Dame? Yeah. What do you got? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I, we didn't go into the nitty gritty, but like have kind of covered uh, a transition or a coming of age trajectory for you. Uh, so I would like to know if you could talk to uh, 15 or 16 year old Sadia, what is some, oh you know, the, the way that your sisters were for, for you, uh, what type of advice or perspective or guidance would you offer that specific person? Man, just be authentic. 
That is something that <clears throat> I still have to tell myself, but mm. be authentic, trust your intuition, respect yourself. That's what I tell a lot of young women, but mm. definitely what I was going through. Yeah. So you, you said like, just in that I'm thinking about, you know, if you're delivering that to 15 year old you and you're talking about telling this to other people, I know a lot of what you've done is, you know, kind of be forging on this or a little mom being in, in like the kind of youth leadership realm of things. And often like we use that language, but we don't, or I think a lot of times, especially when it's around like nonprofits, you're like, yeah, we're doing this leadership program for young people. And we don't actually interrogate, like, what does it mean to be a leader? Which is something that I've been thinking a lot about just in general, like forget about social movement, like in terms of leading a project or bringing the, you know, a farmer's market together, or court, like what are the ways that we can, you know, pull apart and rethink, you know, leading from the middle, all, all these different ways, you know, when you think about helping young people figure out how to do those types of things, not the technical, but the, like being authentic, looking at yourself and, and, and like accepting all of those pieces, um, what are maybe some lessons either from your own growth in that or from some of the leadership work that you've learned that you see like maybe getting lost in the in the conversation sometimes? Well, I see a lot of I forget. I think it's called like adultist, you mm -hmm. know, stuff where yeah. um, basically I think what that means is just it's just a lot of like trying to handhold and trying to groom to an over grooming folks. Right. Like or over privileging yourself because you've turned 21 or, or above. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, I think I see a lot of that, you know, and it's just, it's hard to kind of get out of. Um, mm. So just if you're going to let young people lead, let young people lead. Mm. If you're going to have them lead a meeting, let them mess up. How else are they going to learn, you know? Yeah. So um, that's something Iman is really good about is like letting young people lead meetings with like community meetings. I mean, that's really empowering for young people who do not have like spaces like that, you know? Right. But um, yeah, I think it's just like, if you're going to say it, then really do it and be ready for what's to come with that, you know? Yeah. Because it sounds real good. I think people are like the way it sounds, but they're just not ready to put forth the work. Mm. And it is, it's a whole other set of, yeah, you just have to rethink it because the ways that we like, we think about leadership in a, are just so rooted in like the productivity of capitalism. And I'm going to be that guy who says that, but yep. uh, like, how can you think about what a good leader is outside of like the most efficient or the most, you know, productive leader? Like, how do you kind of change that definition? And young people have all different kinds of ways and are different people. I don't know. That's just something, I, I, it's not even really a question. It's just something I've been thinking about a lot because I think especially just as a, specifically as a guy like you just don't ever see like what 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 does a boss look like it's like either like the guy from office space or it's like a coach or like a set like a military sergeant like you don't know what it means to actually lead in collaboration you just don't there just aren't that many examples that that you yeah, see in the world power. yeah yeah mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if we have a no answer i answer to <laughs> <laughs> there go radio your answers it's just something i've been thinking about yeah. um I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition that, but at, from the perspective of a leader, definitely didn't want to um, like start or center this, but in this time, mm -hmm. right, specifically in relationship to how you're communicating to the young people that you're working with, mm -hmm. um, how, how are you responding or reshaping messaging or, um, I don't know, de developing platform in this time where um, Islam is is being politicized as the excuse or the substantiating like uh, opposition for white supremacy right now. It's, mm -hmm. it's similar. Though, I, I feel related to it in the way that um, whenever we talk about uh, structural 
anti-blackness and like racist state violence or police murder um the answer is always black people are killing each other in chicago mm -hmm. right so that becomes you know as we want to talk about the big like that becomes a part of every piece of the conversation and so on a global scale with what the you know how the federal government and this you know fascist populist movement has reframed you know islam and muslim faith and you know brown people overall as an enemy in a way that is heightened um which is where are you with that right now how yeah. are you wrestling with is that changing um some of or accelerating some of the work or are you like yeah. staying steadfast and like we're not gonna waver yeah in, in how things are, are, are shifting and are you annoyed by how many white people say now more than ever we need this <laughs> Uh, I'm not too annoyed by that oh, or okay. the unapologetic or the intersectional like those terms <laughs> like I'm like whatever it works, it works. <laughs> but so that that answer the answer for that is kind of complex because so I I still live in Bridgeview like the house I grew up in um when I got married you know my parents asked us to stay there with them because they were getting older and my son is being raised there and my shout out to your son what's his name yeah, Issa shout out hey, Issa absolutely shout out <laughs> MC Issa and um <laughs> You know, he's got he, bars I've heard. Yes, he does. Mixtape coming soon. Aside, we, you, you ain't on nothing. We, we got Issa the shy. Blue Ivy, watch out. <laughs> we shut it down. That's a hilarious rap beat. <laughs> anyway, go on. Um, so, yeah, him, you know, his, his, his grandparents, my husband's family, they're in Morgan Park. So he gets such a different world of, you know, in one day, like two different realities. And, um, and then just Iman being like a really big part of both my husband and my life. Um, basically, to answer the to answer the question about the Islamophobia, if you will, even though I don't like that term. Why not? Because it's racism. It's not. It's yeah. just racism. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I, I also don't like the term white supremacy as much either, because I feel like that kind of gives more power to that movement, if you will. Um, I just it's racism but anyways um so at iman and with the youth that you know we work with at iman because they're all black it's like they're just like islamophobia is not a piece for us it's more about like the black community and just the injustices that you know we face as black people but um where i live you know there's a lot more diversity of the muslim diaspora mm -hmm. and there's also a lot of those like really racist, you know, white people who kind of moved out of Marquette Park into Mount Greenwood and, you know, yeah. like we have we have a lot of that still. Um Most and so our southwest suburbs. Yes. And so that's where I face more of the quote Islamophobia stuff is there. And um in terms of how I feel about it, man, I I, I really like am inspired. I gotta find a better word, but I I love seeing I love in, in interfacing with that because for me it's a moment of education from I, I realized it the other day and, and it just goes to speak how conditioned I am mm. um when I saw this like white man looking at this young Arab kid who has this super souped up car and I was like in my head I'm thinking man I kind of feel bad for him like he was just living here living his life and all these you know Arabs and whoever else came in and now they're they got all the money they got all these fancy cars whatever um and my husband was like, girl, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> like, you are mad conditioned. But, um, 
so I'm basically what I'm saying is that they they just Poor don't have white man. exactly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, he just he couldn't keep it going. <laughs> it, it was a good run, but <laughs> so tough. <laughs> um, but it just you know they they just I don't know if they've had real meaningful moments to really exchange and get to know each other, which is the root of community organizing, getting mm-hmm. to know people, building relationships. So when I get those racist comments about the rag on my head or you know, I have some crazy stories, um, road rage and all that, you know, for me, I'm like, this is a moment of, of education. So I, I've gotten a lot better at like having witty remarks that kind of, <laughs> cause my, my son's name is Isa. That's Jesus. Y'all like I named my son after Jesus. Cause I love that man. And I fell in love with him when I learned about his character. So when they try to tell me, um, that I'm saying something about Christians or whatever, I'm like, do you know, my son is, his name is Jesus and his family, like he has some pretty avid, you know, Catholics, like, that's not it. it just it's a moment of education for me so that's how i feel about it yeah well the the his name is jesus move that i feel like in a road in a road rage situation that's a little bit of a tricky response because they're already speeding by how, how do you how do you handle that in that moment um well that was one incident yeah, instance, yeah. right um i ended up kind of i called the police on this man because he mm. um he was just cursing me out in front of my son it was it was a winter day it was you know, you hear, you see the mouth moving and you kind of typically just ignore it. But it was one of those days where I put the window down, like, what'd you say? And um, he, he, he basically was like say, telling me some stupid things. Right. And I, and I, I responded saying, I don't know where this came from, but I told him that, you know, you're just mad because our people have more money and education than yours. Because that's the reality on the Southwest side, yo, like so many, all people of color are driving the economy. Hmm. But, you know, the really it's that's who's spending money there. That's, re- that's really interesting, actually. And paying taxes yeah. and running businesses. And there being, you know, real economic base as opposed to folks who, you know, they're all for a lot of the white folks, like their whole equity is wrapped up in owning their house. But beyond that, there isn't really an economic Absolutely, because you know, it's a corporate everything. world. Right. So on the 4th of July, there was this huge 4th of July uh, parade in Oak Lawn on 95th Street, downtown Oak Lawn. And I walked into the, this... <laughs> I've never heard downtown Oak Lawn. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what they call it. In the, in the bustling metropolitan hub. <laughs> it was all like white families. And I walked into the this big restaurant there, the stacked, it's a breakfast restaurant, and it was all people of color in there. So I'm like, we're driving the money here. We are running this city, but it's all white people celebrating the 4th of mm-hmm. July here. You know, it was just, and I'm like, why are, why didn't they intentionally have outreach to communities of color to make sure there was a presence there? Like, and, and, you know, we obviously reflected on the 4th of July speech by Frederick Douglass and, was yeah, it? it was yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you for again not claiming the expertise. I love that. It's amazing. Um, and Shout out Freddie D. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's got his best work coming. <laughs> new mixtape. Yeah, yeah. Freddie D. Freddie with the new tape. Um, I, I want to say something. We're yeah. about to get out of here. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that we do the 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 work that we always yeah do yeah here. i'm, I'm like gonna actually to uh i'm gonna pretense it so i usually come into i'm gonna be a little bit more straightforward this week uh usually come into it with with a with a joke so this is our, our weekly game uh beef with the r&b singer and before we turn it over to you uh just you know the, the game actually came about organically uh from discussing r kelly and with him being in you know the mainstream again for another um 
I, I, I guess I have to use the word allegation, but, but another account, uh, of his, uh, pretty disgusting abuse of women. Uh, I just want to like let folks know it's not time to like joke about this. It's not time to really debate, um, the idea of is, is it okay to be abused if you consent? Is it okay to be abused if you're 19 instead of 16? Uh, it's all really disgusting mm-hmm. and perpetuating violence. Um, and I think just as a culture, as I've just been listening, I want to go on Twitter, but I was like, I don't even want to like be, I don't even want to like expand the conversation or have to have a debate with anybody. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, we just need to to take this moment and have a deeper look at self. And, and it is not funny in any way, even if you are critiquing uh, humor should be removed uh, from what's happening and what is being reported, especially uh, with all of the, the hundreds of allegations that have come out in between his, his uh, assault case and this story. So yeah. first things first, uh, Fr Kelly, we're going to try to keep it easy on the FCC this week. And of the, you know, in that critique, the thing that I keep uh, trying to hold, and this happens in, in all of these moments where there's someone who, you know, becomes the monster of it, is the things that make him are the things that you know exist in, in a lot of us. So, you know, he doesn't stand separate from the world that we live in. He is of the world that we are all of. Yeah, he just mm-hmm. has more power. It's easier to to do it when you have a mansion to, so, to put it in. Mm-hmm. So it's it's easy to kind of knock, and I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't. Um, but but also look, you know, in the ways that you can, in a way that it, you are protected. Be less like R. Kelly, right? And to the <laughs> and to the people, yeah. If it's a spectrum <laughs> of, of of kind, humanizing love on one end, and R. Kelly on the other, try to pull people towards the kind, humanizing love around you. The pull pull the people around you. That's usually we like do it as a joke, and the people, you know, we have people start beef with an R and B singer. Uh, I think we can. I don't know. If you want to, yeah. If you want to add somebody, so yeah. We, we, uh, sorry, we we made it kind of serious and heavy because because it, it was it was necessary. But yeah, every week we start beef with the R and B singer of any genre or of any era, uh-huh. uh, and so R Kelly is in the rafters. Obviously, you right. can honorably mention him, but it could be out of love, it could be jokingly, or it could be something real. Uh, <laughs> you got any beef with with, with with an R and B singer? Yeah, because um, there's no accountability. You know, <laughs> they're running amok. Right, right, right. Um, I have beef with Ashanti. Ooh, <laughs> tell me, tell me. I, I used to have wow. like Ashanti posters littered what, around my wall. What's going on? Oh. You well, can't be. Just, you're not anti her baby hair, are you? I, I kind of am. <laughs> <laughs> what's up? What's up? <laughs> she just came in, and you know the whole Ja Rule and the Charlie Brown. That whole scene was a hot mess, yeah, low key, right? Yeah, it was addicting, it was. but it was a hot mess. And then they just left. So it I'm was. like, y'all just <laughs> shook up our world and, yeah. and put some junk and just walked out. So I'm still that's, beefing since like real. 2000. Oh, okay, you ate and then washed the dishes. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just glad it wasn't baby hair specific. They were like, I have beef with the Shanti. I don't have beef specific. I, I, w- I will say this. I had like a a, a, a deep crush on the Shanti in her prime and she's gotten much finer over the years so wow. I, I, i'm gonna also i'm gonna add a little shout out to that beef this is uh i just again humanizing love <laughs> you can still critique you can still critique where, where, can the, where can the folks find you anything coming up any last plugs or shout outs that you want to give yeah sure i mean i'm on twitter miss deja 07 and farmers markets are every friday at iman so Beautiful. come through we'd love to connect absolutely thank, thank you all for so, having of me of course thank, thank you, so you for, for being coming. here and putting up with our foolishness it was <laughs> wonderful uh we'll be back with episode 100 next week bam uh and i think i'll just tell you who it is if you listen through the whole hour you get this little uh this little plug miriam Cabo returns there <laughs> next week so look bam. forward to that we'll be back then much love to the people peace <laughs>